All right, here we are. Very lucky to have a quick chat today with Max Hillebrand, the CEO and one of the co-founders of ZK Snacks, which is the parent company of everyone's favorite desktop coin privacy by default wallet, and that is Wasabi. All right, so we're going to be having a little bit of a non-technical discussion today, and we're going to be talking about the company and the future and we're going to field some of the questions from our Lightning Ventures Investing Syndicate, which we are proud supporters, angel investors, advocates, evangelists, and all of that good stuff for mainly early stage Bitcoin native companies. And we like to have videos with CEOs and founders to get our questions in and have a chat about them. So first off, Max, how are you today? Well, I'm fantastic, you know, and enjoying life in the Bitcoin rabbit hole as usual. It's a bunch of fun working on Bitcoin-only projects. The max is held in the highest regard in the, the privacy circles. So, all right, let's start with the who, uh, because the Wasabi team uh, and contributors are also uh, among the highest respected uh, out there. So when did you decide to, to, to start building uh, ZK Snacks? And uh, can you do a quick little overview on the story of that? Yeah, I think the story goes back to about 2014, probably 2015, back in the days when Adam Fixor Nopara was re looking into different Bitcoin privacy solutions. Tumblebit was one of them, CoinSwap's another, JoinMarket, and, and then ultimately, well, CoinJoin properly done. And, and that started with a research project called Hidden Wallet, then that, that tried to implement this zero-knowledge coin-join protocol. And in 2018, then, after a bunch of years of research and development, we launched Wasabi 1.0 as the first desktop wallet that, that just works by default and gives a lot of privacy guarantees to its users. And since then, there was a lot of stabilization because the first version was quite shitty and a lot of further research and development, X improvements, features added. And ultimately that culminated in a, a another two and a half, three year long research and development process to to overhaul and, and reimagine the, the underlying CoinJoin protocol. And that is, is Wabi Sabi utilizing some new fancy cryptography. And that is then or that got launched in two thousand twenty two in June where we launched Wasabi 2.0 with, with well, even more benefits and, and features and improved privacy guarantees and, and decreased cost for using the, these services. And the, the project is well, run by countless contributors, probably well over 100 contributors throughout these years. You know, people come and go, but, but still to this day, there's like 35 to 40 people actively working on different parts of the project and it's it's quite a, a hub activity and i think the the quality of the software shows so what we're what we're talking about here and i saw you had a big news release yesterday about uh, trezor integration that's that's a big one you know this was something that back in 2019 we were talking with the founders of trezor stick and slash about securely signing coin join transactions with the private keys on a hardware wallet device which back then was, was a wet dream, but nobody really considered it. 
And after a lot of research, we, we figured out that there's many hurdles in its way, not just the underlying CoinJoin protocol, which eventually we, we were working on with, with Wabi Sabi, but, but also on the Bitcoin protocol. Things had to be adjusted in, in Taproot before that got deployed. So literal changes to Bitcoin Core were made to ensure this feature. And, and the numerous other critical security vulnerabilities have been discovered and then closed with just a lot of work. And, and so it took in Trezor another probably 20 plus people over, over two and a half years to, to work on this project, which is now finally released, not just for the Trezor Model T, but also for the Model 1. And that's, that's great because that's a huge user base that now has the technical capability uh, to easily make their money private. Uh, and that helps every user of, of the CoinJoin protocol. So that's not just, so Wasabi wallet users, Trezor users, Trezor suite users, and, and BTC pay server users all now make transactions together in the same CoinJoin protocol. And, and that leads to a lot of liquidity and, and a lot of privacy for all users. So yeah, I definitely want to get into that in a little bit as far as future other hardware wallet integrations. I thought that was cool when it came out yesterday. That's the wallet that I use at home. Don't tell NVK or the foundation to ice guy. But you know, <laughs> it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. And, and that very first, that very first exactly. treasure has stuck with me, but, but I like to play with them all. So when you hear the words mixing, right? When you hear mixing and coin joins, it's such a, it's such a negative connotation to the word and, and part of coins rebrand, you know, like for example, everyone talks about non-KYC. How about instead of non-KYC, just saying no signup required, isn't that much more friendly? You know, and every, everyone says <laughs> mixing coins and washing and all this other stuff. And it's like, how about enhanced Bitcoin privacy features? Doesn't that, doesn't that just roll off the tongue is a much better way of, of saying it. So I know Gregory Maxwell, probably the greatest of all time, had a, had a big part of, of coin joints and coming out, but the history of it, can you do just like a quick 30 second wiki of, of, of the history of this, this whole space? Yeah, yeah the, the history goes back all the way to the white paper. Satoshi back then had a, a line basically saying that if there are multiple inputs to a transaction, we can assume that those all belong to the same user. And, and that's because that's how the original Bitcoin software worked. Uh, however, that's not a strict requirement of, of the protocol. And then very soon after, in, in 2010, on some Reddit posts, that different users th thought through the idea of multiple people coming together and making a Bitcoin transaction together, where multiple inputs are, are owned by different people. A and that then in, in 2013 got somewhat documented or by Gregory Maxwell in a Bitcoin torque post where he went quite in depth of, of why Bitcoin is a privacy problem and, and why CoinJoins is, in, is a quite eloquent and easy and, and simple and yeah, affordable way of, of improving the privacy in, in the network. And in, in that 2013 post, with he mentioned in, in like one sentence that there, there is a central coordinator whom users have to talk to, and, and this coordinator relays the messages to, to other users of the CoinJoin system. And the trust in this coordinator can be reduced by the use of Chalmian blind signatures. Full stop. Out of many paragraphs, just one sentence about improving the privacy of the centralized coordinator. And, and that was... Then after many, oh yeah, there was also then a Bitcoin bound, coin joint bounty, by the way, shortly after this post, over a hundred Bitcoin, I believe, a large amount of Bitcoin were, were donated to a multi-sig wallet 
controlled by Peter Woolley, Gregory Maxwell, and Thamos, the, the moderator of Bitcoin Talk. And they claimed that they will pay out the bounty to, to any developer or group thereof who would implement a, a proper CoinJoin solution. And that led to a couple different developer groups trying to, to build it out, including Dark Wallet or, or Blockchain.com, which had somewhat naive CoinJoin implementations that ultimately were not maintained, more of a proof of concept. So the payout was not yet. But, but then join market started solving a liquidity problem uh, with a, a marketplace. Won't have to go much into the details, but a quite genius and, uh, and crypto economical invention that, that join market is quite very brilliant. Uh, and join market is still around to the stays with, with numerous improvements on, on both the security, the, the privacy, the, the usability. So, so great effort there. And part of the coin join bounty did get paid out to join market. And then, however, Nopara got back to reading that Gregory Maxwell sentence about improving the privacy against the coin join coordinator. And he dug a bit deeper in what that actually means and what we can do with it. And he published a zero link cryptography framework for coordinating coin join transactions in a way that the central coordinator had, does not have the ability to spy on its users, which which is a, a huge important aspect of a holistically secure system. And that then got implemented as a proof of concept in Hidden Wallet and ultimately as, as a 1.0 stable release with Wasabi Wallet. Uh, and well, years, years later, we advanced the research on, on the applied cryptography field of, of which cryptographic systems can we use to ensure that the the, the privacy to the against the coordinator is is made stronger and especially more flexible so that we can create larger and more elaborate transactions without having to reveal information to the coordinator. So Wabi Sabi is this crypto system that makes the coordinator, I would argue, as private as it's ever going to be. And now we can build on top of, of this coordination protocol and, and make sure that, that the entire user journey is is private by default and affordable in terms of cost and, and fast in terms of speed. And most importantly, that it just works easily by default in the background. And I think that's the current state of, of Bitcoin privacy now. Are you lonely? Is there something missing in your life? Do you like to party? Well, listen up. It's time to spice up your life and start investing in Bitcoin companies. Lightning Ventures makes angel investing in Bitcoin startups fun and easy. Are you curious about the Bitcoin VC world? Care to join the anti-fiat Bitcoin venture capital universe? If yes, don't be shy. Fill out the application at ltng.ventures for a quick and custom onboarding. It's Bitcoin only, of course, because there is no second best. <laughs> so join the motley crew of hackers, stackers, node runners, and meme masters. Whether you're a pleb or a whale, all are welcome. So groove with us. Be a part of it. Visit ltng.ventures to apply. We're going to make it. Are you? I love earning a little bit of of trying to to earn a little bit of yield and in, in the the fork era was great claiming all those forms and the the early join market stuff I mean you had to be really careful way way too easy for something terrible to happen okay so let's talk a little bit 
about one of the main questions that we got submitted, which is surrounding the legality of of all of these exciting privacy innovations, either here in the U.S. or throughout the world. And maybe your co-founders or there's a lot of legal help and support baked into the ZK Stacks co-founding team. So what is the precedent? Is there any, what is the state of the current legality for this whole area? Yes, the, the legality is actually quite clear cut because CoinJoins is by design a non-custodial system so that it is impossible to steal money from someone. And every transfer is validated and signed by the end user or software. And so the service provider cannot steal any money or, or other participants cannot steal money from other users. And because of this non-custodiality, uh, the, the set of rules is, is pretty clear cut. This is a communications service. It is, it is not a money service. It is not a, a transaction system. It's a API to, to talk to a chat room, basically both technically and legally speaking. So the the operation and the usage of such a, a CoinJoin coordinator is, is fully legal. This strongly contrasts to what we've seen in the past in, in the Bitcoin privacy space, and that is custodial mixers, which are entities that collect money from, from other people. So the, the possession of the UTXO transfers from the end user to a service provider and the service provider, after some time, sends a, a different set of, of UTXOs back to that user who so far waited on getting his money back. And this does guarantee a, a substantial amount of privacy. However, it, it means that the service provider can run away with the money. And un under these conditions, we're talking about a bank, a, a money warehouse, someone holding and custodying the, the, the control over certain assets while the legal ownership over those assets retained with the original users. And this is a, a very trusted environment. And there are laws about how a service provider of such a service ought or has to behave. And there's good reasons for these laws because, well, people lost a lot of money and these laws seemed to have uh, reduced the amount of suffering. Um, and, and therefore we have them, right? And they, they are here and, and they are enforced. So. The, the crucial difference of CoinJoins is precisely in the fact that it is not a custodial system right? and, and, and therefore it is not a money service business and therefore the regulations that, that we have akin in, in the banking system does not apply to it. And there, there might, of, so it's to some extent it's a bit similar to a, a, a VPN. You know, a VPN is a communications provider. They pass messages left and right among users and it, it, it is very much a legal system to to run such a such a software non for non for profit just for yourself or even to offer it to other people that that is a, a legal part but what we've seen now with vpns for example after years of these things being a thing and actively being used that now some jurisdictions have some custom regulations specifically tailored for vpns in switzerland for example a vpn provider is now classified as a telecommunication service provider, which is rather broadly defined, but specifically about providing access to the internet for, for all types of information. And, and there comes a lot of responsibility and, and legal responsibility with, with such a classification. Uh, so something like this might eventually come to, to coin coordinators, to lightning network node operators, 
to multi-sig quorum participants, all of these special use cases of Bitcoin technologies to sidechain operators and uh, to, to Fediment custodians, etc. All of these things that are currently legal according to the existing set of rules might have additional set of rules applied. And then the jurisdiction of the operating entity is important as well as the jurisdiction of, of the users. And this is something we'll definitely keep an eye on, on, on how this evolves in the future. But so far, as, as we currently understand it in, in all of the numerous jurisdictions that, that we have inquired, operating and using a CoinJoin coordinator is, is perfect. So probably the most, if not one of the most hated coin companies out there that I believe is maybe a $8 billion valuation at their peak is chain analysis. So when chain analysis does whatever they do, are you the anti, is this the anti-chain analysis? Would this effectively, would this effectively thwart their efforts in what they do? And how does that relationship work? Yeah, it's a really good question. I to I think it's a cat and mouse game to to a large extent, and and I don't think that either sides will 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 stop their work anytime soon. People want to look at the available metadata and and draw meaningful conclusions out of that for numerous different reasons. Right to to catch criminals, to, to run a more profitable business, to influence the minds of people. What whatever it is, there's many different reasons for for looking. At metadata and, and analyzing it and, and drawing a narrative out of it. Simultaneously, there will always be a demand to ensure that you are leaking as little of sensitive metadata as, as possible. And so on, on one hand is, is the, you know, that aspect of, of improving the privacy and the security of systems so that the quantity and quality of metadata is, is decreased. And there are, well, there have been huge breakthroughs made in, in the last couple of years in, in Bitcoin specifically. Uh, and I, I see a lot of additional improvements on, on the privacy and security of Bitcoin in the future. But simultaneously, the, the, the technologies and, and, and the power to analyze this metadata has substantially increased. Uh, and data analysis is, is also on a quite exponential growth. And I'm, I'm not sure how, how the advanced technologies in, in the next five, 10 years are, are going to be uh, to play out. So there there will certainly be substantial breakthroughs in de-anonymizing Bitcoin users, probably also uh, the de-anonymizing Bitcoin users who are trying to do their best, right? Like reusing new addresses, running their t a node over Tor, or even coin joining. And some some sophisticated attacks in the future might in indeed break at least some of these implementations and it also some edge cases of users of these implementations. And so it's, it, we have a lot of work to do, that's for sure. So we invest in Bitcoin companies and then we, we do our best to try and help in whatever capacity we can as a group or network. That's what we try to do and also provide a little learning. So this is a first for Lightning Ventures uh, because this is a secondary opportunity. So ZK Snacks is not actually raising around right now. Uh, they did raise one soul round years ago, and they've been profitable ever since. Unlike OpenSats and a lot of other things out there, we are not here to save the manatees. We are here to invest in amazing, outstanding projects and people, do our best to, to support them and contribute however we can. 
and earn lots of sats by depositing dirty fiat. So this is a secondary transaction. So what exactly is the reasoning for taking a little bit off the table or providing some liquidity? And for those that don't know, let me just sum it up. When you scale a business to a certain degree and you're a founder or an early employee, you have the opportunity to sell those shares with board approval and cooperation from the company to new investors. And a lot of times this can be great when you get the business to a certain level, you get to provide liquidity to early investors or founders or employees, and then you get to bring in new blood new blood to your cap table, new new help, support, and people there. So this is a fairly common thing. This is our first secondary through Lightning Ventures, but we're able to facilitate it. And what's the thinking there? Now, that's not to say that they won't raise a proper, big, press release, fancy, dancy round here soon. But what exactly were you thinking or what sparked this? Yeah, that's that's a really good insight. And, and CK Snacks is really a miracle project in, in this regard, I believe. Because the, the company started with, with zero Bitcoin on, on the balance sheet, just the quote-unquote intellectual property of, of the previous work that was done to, to build the Wasabi Wallet 1.0. And we launched the company with the launch of the software. Um, so the company had a, a working product right away. And even though the first two, three months were, were quite low, in, in, in user adoption, three months after launch, all of a sudden the, the, the volumes well went up and we we have a, a flourishing user base ever since. Apparently the product is quite useful. And we have inbuilt a, a revenue model for the coordinator for, for numerous reasons, inc including the privacy and the security of our users, verifiable costliness to make civil attacks a lot more expensive, basically. Well, these... This means that we are we have the opportunity to earn revenue very early on and then invest this revenue into making Wasabi Wallet a, a better software. So we hired the, the first developers and engineers and, and researchers of Wasabi Wallet to, to come and, and focus full time on a project that they just did as a hobby before. So we, we very much started out as a volunteer free software project. Then, then realized the potential for, for a company there and, and executed on, on creating the company. And that now means that, well, by now we, we are again supporting 35, 40 people more or less full time. And, and, and still to this day, we have not raised a capital round. Even in 2019, this was a secondary round to settle a small amount of, of assets to, to Cypherpunk Holdings, a Canadian venture capital fund. And this was also not to, to raise more money in order to pay developers, et cetera, because, and the fundamental reason is we, we don't need money from someone else. We get money from our users and that money is, is plenty enough to run a, a healthy and, and prosperous and, and growing team of, of quite motivated and dedicated people. So ultimately we, we want to be profitable in, in the truest sense of the world that, that what we are building on has so much value to, to users that, that they give us more value back than, than we have to invest in, in making this miracle happen. That's where the actual creation comes from. So we definitely want to be profitable and, and we've well, you know, always, always had a focus on this and gradually scaled our development efforts as our revenue increased. And, and that has been working quite well. And, and we have a decent amount of, of savings now and, and ongoing revenue to continue 
even our rather upscaled adventure now. And well, sure, we could, you know, double another couple times, especially if we have a bunch of venture capital to throw at the problem. But that also leads to a lot of inefficiencies and, and scaling the companies just for the scale of bigger rounds and more employees isn't really worth it. There's, there's also a lot of benefit of having a rather small team. And, and the communication complexities, et cetera, of, of a smaller group is way more manageable. So, you know, also it's just difficult to spend a lot of money at once. <laughs> and it, it sometimes makes sense to be a lot more careful and, and not wasting your all money on, on a bunch of different projects, but being able to focus on, on those handful selected projects that are actually worth it, that, that actually return a profit denominated in Bitcoin, which was which is also bloody difficult. But we want to have at the end of the day more Bitcoin. That's that's the unit of account of, of the company and our balance sheet, and that that's a that's another difficult task to to fulfill. But I, I, so far we're we're doing a decent job at it, and yeah, just with existing cash flows, I think we can even finance the next round of of scaling. Now, if eventually we need more cash. We're definitely open to to raise capital for the first time. I'm, I'm sure it will be a big adventure, but until then, let let the the users show us of how valuable they they find the product, and let let us invest an adequate amount back to make sure that that everything's going to be efficiently allocated. All right. So he said a lot of stuff there. The first thing to think about when you're evaluating secondaries, which that's my first investments were in secondaries because usually they're later stage and there's much less to lose because they've proven themselves. And it's not always a bad thing when a founder or an early employee wants to sell some or part or a portion to someone for their equity. There might be a life event. Maybe they have a kid on the way or they're buying a house or maybe they want to beef up their own personal stack. So that's something to think about when in, in evaluating secondary opportunities. The other thing here that's really great and you know founders should take notice is you essentially scaled this company with nothing okay and that's kind of that's kind of the joke in vc and with a lot of inexperienced founders is oh my gosh i've got the best idea the first thing i need to do is raise three million dollars so i can go ahead and do it and what max and the team over there have done is essentially built everything that this is and we can't go into revenue and numbers, but it's very profitable. It's very profitable doing this, which is paid annually in Bitcoin, which actually leads us to the second most asked question, which is how do Bitcoin dividends work? Uh, how often are they paid? And, you know, unlike every other early stage Bitcoin startup or even just technology startup that's, you know, making flying cars and robotic lawnmowers, there aren't really many dividends, if not ever. There are many companies that go public and, and still lose money. So it's nice to have an opportunity to earn Bitcoin dividends paid how so? I believe you've paid them every year that you've, you know, for the past maybe four years. But you want to talk just a little bit about some of that and the thinking there? You know, it, a lot of companies, by the way, if they're denominated in fiat, anything that they make, they just pile back into the company. That includes potentially mismanaging funds by piling some revenues or profits that they have. But Max is insistent 
in paying coin dividends. And right along with paying anyone who is an investor in the company in Bitcoin dividends, he gets to pay himself, which must feel pretty good as well. So what do you want to say about that, buddy? You know, like that, that you can run and, and scale to a huge business and, and go public without ever paying dividends is, is I think, a, a dire symptom of how fucked up the fiat world is. Because, I mean, you know, who's like, how are you, how are you being productive when, when you keep taking on money from the outside to continue funding the venture? That, that doesn't make sense, right? You, it, it, a project should, should be self-sustainable. It, 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 it should run and, and continue by itself. Um, and profit is, is quite important. And, and also the, the payback on, on capital, right? Bitcoin is, is damn precious. Right? And and handing over your Bitcoin to someone else and saying, hey, you you pr you protect the Bitcoin, right? and and more than that, you try to to get me more Bitcoin back in the future, and that's, I mean, that's a really ambitious claim. It's difficult enough to keep your Bitcoin secure, let alone to try to to earn a return on it. So being profitable is is not easy in in Bitcoin, and it it yeah it it, it nevertheless. That's ultimately what we want to do, right? If you're not profitable, you're you're burning more and more Bitcoin every year while, while you continue trying to solve the problem. Then, I mean, sooner or later you're going to run out of money. Then might as well stop now, and at least you have some Bitcoin left. So, dividends are 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 important to to reward, yeah, you know, the the founders and and the capitalists basically. The and you know that's dividends come after the expenses. And this this means that if you, the the management of the company has already tried its best to spend as much money as as was required to solve the problems available, a and it, as I said earlier, it's difficult to spend a lot of money actually. <laughs> and uh, of course, throwing it out of the window, sure, but but trying to to make it profitably and investing your money so that it actually returns an interest is is difficult. A and well. Just having more money available to to throw out with, without needing to justify it on on are we ever gonna get any return on those Bitcoin? That that's that's not good. And yeah, yeah. So you know, and as you said, once a year we basically make the decision of how does the treasury of of the the company look? What's the savings rate? And and how was our in, uh, incoming revenue? How was our expenses? How are our volumes looking? Download numbers, etc. But where do we we see the future? And you know, then bonuses get paid out to contributors of the project, as as well as the the owners of the company. One cool thing there is is that they're very supportive of other projects. The HRF donation tour that's monthly, they support and and pay it forward quite a bit, and still manage to make a profit and pay it out in Bitcoin. Just real quick for what I can say on it, because it was, we got a lot of questions about it, was how are we going to handle uh, these coin dividend payments through our SPV, right? Which is an SPV is a special purpose vehicle. That's a fancy word for it. And that's one line on a cap table. So instead of taking all these small checks and, and, and having many different names on your cap table, you get to take one line and kind of group everyone in there. Okay, that's what happens with syndicate investing and a lot of these type of secondaries. So for everyone that's in there, our SPV is going to receive Bitcoin dividends. And how are we going to handle that? Well, first off, it's pretty cool 
because Wasabi and they're on the forefront and the, the cutting edge of, of all of this privacy. And this very, this very dividend of being paid in Bitcoin is also on that cutting edge. I've never heard of, of anything like that. And, and neither has AngelList. And they said, oh, it, it's funny. They're, they're like, oh, it's like a token warrant? And I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't work. They said, well, well, you can put your tokens. It's like, no, no, no. But first off, the SPV, we will make the best decision uh, possible at the time to, to, to take into consideration potential tax implications that may occur at that moment. What is the holding period? How are we able to distribute it? Are we able to give everyone the option to provide an address? That is very, very possible, okay? Would somebody say, you know what? I, I don't want the Bitcoin. I would like to just, just sell it for me, okay? And do a standard ACH and provide that option. That's very possible. Just like when you invest in a company and they go public, you usually get the option. Do you want the shares? If you want the shares, we need your broker's information and those shares land in there. Or you click the button that says, sell it for me. Okay, so we're going to cross that bridge once we come to it, because A, we don't know exactly how much those dividends would be. And B, we really have to work with AngelList on how they want to do that, because there are K-1s and tax reporting and other things to consider. And we certainly wouldn't want to hit the sell on a short term gain tax and unnecessarily put people in the wrong position. So that's how we hope to handle that when it happens. So you know, it, 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 it's it's just really funny on on the the harsh realization of how how, how difficult the the fiat payment rails are always, and that's one of the things where again we're we're well radically at the cutting edge that we don't have a bank account and we don't need one because our customers pay us in Bitcoin and we pay our contractors exclusively in Bitcoin and our investors, the dividends as well. You'd be surprised of how simple this is <laughs> compared to the, the setup of, of you know, a, a fiat institutional bank account. It's a breeze. <laughs> so uh, join us on the bright side of, of Bitcoin-only ventures. It's, it's fun. And, uh, and we can't wait till we can get the infrastructure set up to where we can take investments in Bitcoin and close those deals in Bitcoin. And that's something that we've been working on in our secret lab for a while now, which believe it or not, regulatory wise is harder than you think. Okay. So I want to get this out of the way or else I'm going to get nasty messages from this gentleman. If I didn't at least bring it up, I know that you have probably answered this many times and, and, and been in some heated and great discussions about it, but blacklisting certain UTXOs as a part of the past. Can you just give an overall, just a 30-second synopsis on what happened? And we had at least three people mention this as a concern. 30-second synopsis. Uh, and ramble away, my man. <laughs> so the, one, one of the core features that a CoinJoin coordinator provides is the blacklisting of certain UTXOs. Every CoinJoin coordinator does that, and it's a feature, not a bug. Because there are attackers who connect to a coin join round, pretend that they want to participate it, and want to collect all of the metadata of the other users who want to participate, and then they disconnect and don't sign the coin join transaction. Yeah, chain analysis, you see that? You just expose chain analysis for their little tricks. They might actually be doing it. You know, it would be very difficult actually to to find out. So we kind of have to assume that that they are doing it. And and well, if one 
input does not sign the CoinJoin transaction, it, it's completely invalid and, and will never be confirmed. So if one person on the internet does that, and we'll never be able to find out who it is, then there is no service for any of our users. And so what a coordinator does is he puts everyone who does not sign on a blacklist. And, and that coin is not allowed to go into the next coin join round so that the honest users who are left over can continue and, and perform the service successfully or the, the coin join transaction successfully. So blacklisting is by design in, in every coin join implementation and we will not get rid of it. The coordinator always has the power and the individual users always have the power to refuse to sign a transaction or to coordinate a transaction with certain inputs. What we have done more than a year ago is to say that we are expanding the reasons for, for inputs that we do not work together with. It's no longer just people who, who try to disrupt our service. It is also UTXOs that seem to come from known criminals. And the vast majority of, of what we blacklist seems to come from credit card scamming as well as investment fraud. So, so these two things are, are stuff that we just don't want to support on, on our company computer and, and company coordinator out of, well, ethical reasons, mainly. I don't want to help criminals with, with anything. And thanks to chain and surveillance services, there is quite high quality ways of finding out who's, who certain coins belong to and, and how they are moving through the Bitcoin blockchain. That's the entire problem that we're trying to solve. And so we're using this metadata leak of, of the average Bitcoin user, quote unquote, to our advantage in, in terms of ensuring that we don't do business with also, for example, sanctioned entities. This is the one thing where we are legally required to do so. Any company, regardless of, of what your business is, uh, if you have U.S. customers or, or U.S. employees or, or U.S. investors, you have to follow the OFAC sanction rules. And there are certain Bitcoin addresses on the OFAC sanction list and doing business with them in whatever shape it is, is, is a no-go and, and can be enforced against. Uh, and, and so here we, we do follow the laws and uh, lock, uh, you know, U.S. sanctions, European sanctions, etc. And there is, is certainly a regulatory de-risking is a big part of this, which I, I think investors to the project might be interested in. Because obviously you, you don't want to build something that is explicitly illegal. That's, that's not going to survive in the long run and that's not going to scale. And since we tend to think in the long run and tend to think about projects that, that scale to the size of the problem that we're trying to solve, that this is just an, a, a no-brainer, really. If, if there is an easy way to find out that some of the people that you work with are criminals and you could find that out and, and you don't, that's, that, that doesn't sound like a scalable thing to do. So that's why we've made the decision that, that we've made. And that's why I think it's not just a good business decision and, and, and a good legal decision, but also a, a ethical decision from from just people who, who want to make the world a, a better better place and helping people who, who steal credit card information isn't really the, the the thing that I want to do. Yeah, well said. Okay, so we are 42 minutes into this thing and we're going to wrap it up because I've been told by Mr. Producer that we should keep our video shorter. So let's talk real quick about, about the revenue and without getting into those Bitcoin dividends, they have kind of varied, uh, varied just about as wildly as the Bitcoin price. I wanted to, to chat with you about why that might be much higher in some years and in a high fee environment like we've been in, what does that do to your, your revenue and kind of 
how do you see that moving forward if if you stay in a high fee environment and 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 which do you actually prefer yeah bo both both are good questions and volume or volumes and revenue are are and usage is quite volatile for for many reasons you know in the very early days nobody knew about wasabi and then eventually we appeared on, on podcasts, et cetera. So the, the word spread a little bit and, and that led to a wave, but then people forget about early alpha projects, et cetera. And, and so there are some just natural hype cycles in, in any startup. On top of that, we're a Bitcoin startup. So that, that means the Bitcoin price goes crazy and that affects everyone in the market, uh, most definitely. And then also the, the technology has, has improved, right? Where the first versions didn't work that great and then they started to work better. And there were, you know, denial of service attacks or the Tor network got down and, and that all of a sudden reflect, affects the provision of the service. And if the server is down, you're not making any revenue. And yeah, and you know, how, how does this go in the future? I, I think we're definitely expanding the, uh, the possibility of people to use it. And in the beginning, it was only Wasabi Wallet users who could become our customers. Now Trezor Suite users, a massive user base, 10x, 100x larger than, than Wasabi at this point. They are now able to to be conjoin users and, and our customer. Same with BTC Pay Server, a software application used for for merchants who are quite high volume Bitcoin transaction makers. I know there are some stores with thousands of transactions per month. Probably. So so this is an interesting user group for, for us to talk to. And in terms of of how does this affect in with with the fee rate? Since 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 is a native Bitcoin blockchain protocol. The cool thing is that regardless of how high the fee rate is, um, there are always there's always demand, right? Even if even if the fee rates are super high, some people are willing to pay for it. In fact, that is why the fee rate is so high because the demand for using block spaces is huge, right? And the general gist is that anything that you do on the blockchain, you could be doing in a coin join, right? If you send from your hardware wallet to your hot wallet, that could be a coin join. From hot wallet to hardware wallet or to a multisig, that could be a coin join. To open a Lightning Network channel, that could be a coin join. To make your DLC contracts or RGB state transitions, whatever, that could all be inside a coin join. So whenever we see a single user transaction on the blockchain, regardless of what the fee rate is that it's paying, it could have been done in a coin join. And it could have been done at the coin join at the same fee rate. If the fee rate is 10,000 sats per VByte, then make a coin join with 10,000 sats per VByte and collaborate with the people who actually want to pay that much for making a transaction right now. The, the critical thing in this is that the relative cost of doing a coin join compared to a single user transaction, that relative cost difference must be as small as possible. It would be best if doing a coin join is even cheaper than making a single user transaction. Right? If that's the case, then nobody would make a single user transaction again, basically because you would save money with, with doing it collaboratively with many other of people. And we can get there with some certain technological progress, but, but already right now using Wasabi is only a small percentage larger or, or more expensive than doing it in a single user transaction. It, under some guarantees, if you're very paranoid, it's going to get a bit more expensive, but for basic usage of it, it, it does not co cost much more. And, and so, yes, there is a lot of people who don't want to buy block space anymore when the price is very high and and therefore also a lot of our potential customers are, are going to walk away and, and not be purchasing the service anymore however regardless at the fee rate there's always demand for block space and those people who demand it at the high prices currently 
they are our potential customers that, that we will want to convince to, to use our service. Okay, I promise we're going to wrap this up. Okay, so the hardware wallet integration with Trezor, that's great. So clearly that's a focus and every producer of a hardware wallet and that integration would be very meaningful. So the idea is that's the first of more to come. I just wanted to make sure everyone is aware of that. The, the other interesting, interesting writings that you guys have as far as the future of the Lightning Network and potentially putting, I, I mean, look, I don't understand it and this isn't supposed to be a, a technical conversation, but incorporating Lightning, is that something that's in the near future or is that a few years out? It is something that we've started the research on. Finally, last year we did the lightningprivacy.com. The conclusion of that is we're pretty close of having a lightning, of having the possibility to implement a lightning network node client that, that checks off most privacy concerns that, that we would currently have. So there was a insane amount of progress in lightning, especially in the last year when it comes to privacy. And a lot of the attack vectors have been or are being closed. And we're getting pretty close of, of seeing a privacy-preserving Lightning wallet. I, I think Mutiny is, is the best example right now as, as the, yeah, as in, in the short term. And I think we can do even better than that. And the question is, when will it come? So two questions. When will it come to be done in a coin join? And that can be already right now. We have taproot inputs and outputs in Wabi Sabi coin joins right now. Those could be Lightning network opening and closings, and nobody would know about it. And even the coordinator would not know about it. So someone might have written software to do this already. Probably not because it's difficult, but sooner or later, anyone can do this. Doesn't even have to be Wasabi or, or Trezor, a new wallet, an existing wallet could do this. When will it come into Wasabi? That's a bit of a, a larger question because we don't like to take shortcuts and we would love to have a, a lightning implementation that does not have privacy leaks. And that is just a monumental effort and will probably take us a couple of years. Because there are opportunity costs, right? We, we need to focus. And for example, making Wasabi able to sign coin join transactions on the hardware wallet is a feature that we want to do. So not just Trezor Suite connect, a Trezor connected to your Wasabi wallet, but also cold card, Ledger, Bitbox, etc., Jade, which we're working or talking to all of them and all of these projects are interested. It's just a lot of work and, and we want to you know, make some of that work on our side. A another important thing that we would probably want to do with or is, is localization. So translating Wasabi Wallet to, to all major languages and also getting Wasabi on mobile wallet that, uh, or on the mobile operating system. That is, is probably the computing platform of the future also when we're talking about payments. And therefore, that's, that's something that we want to tackle. It's also a huge technological challenge. Um, and after all of this, probably we can look into Lightning. <laughs> so it, it will take us a little bit to get there. It's definitely not forgotten and, and we're laying the groundwork with the research uh, already. And we're going to close on that in just a second. I remember that it was in Oslo. You were speaking. Someone asked you a question about your greatest concern and it was OFAC. Th that was your answer. thought that was pretty interesting. So on the roadmap, you just mentioned the app and I'm curious why that's pushed out. We're not going to show the roadmap here. We're trying to be as privacy centric more than usual with this deal. That's irony and that's the truth. But on the roadmap here uh, from 2027 to 2029 is finally when you see things like an Android and an iPhone app. That to me seems way out there in the future. Why, why is that not prioritized? 
because there are a lot of building blocks that are missing. A lot of them have been checked off. Like for example, Avalonia or UI framework works on mobile now. That's that's great. But the, the two main bottlenecks that are still there are for one, Tor. Wasabi heavily, heavily relies on the Tor network for probably the most or one of the most sophisticated users of the Tor network. It's crazy. And that currently does not work on the mobile platform at all. And the Tor project, and we're not directly, but indirectly funding this, is, is working on RT, a, a re-implementation of the Tor client in a modern and, and performant way. And with this new implementation, we can probably run a Tor client on the phone with sophisticated uh, and details and, and fine-grained control that, that we would need for the privacy guarantees that, that you're used to on, on your laptop. So that is a big outside bottleneck, which we're working on with, with funding the Tor project. Another thing is wallet loading speed. The way that most mobile wallets compromise on having a fast loading experience is by sending all of your addresses to a third party and asking that third party, hey, here's my address, tell me how much money I have. And that works super fast, but the downside is that other guy now knows which addresses are yours, and that's just not acceptable. We get around this by, by using something known as block filters, but that takes quite a lot of time to synchronize. You know, it, it's it, in, with wallets of many transactions, it can take days to open your wallet, even on the desktop. We, we have and continue to do numerous like 10x, 100x loading speed improvements as, as we continue to, to work on it, but which is still far away from what a mobile user experience would, would want. You can't just open an app you know, when you're at the counter wanting to make a payment and then it, you have to wait 30 minutes before the wallet loads, <laughs> you know. That's that's just not a user experience that, that would be worth it right now. And th that just means there's a lot of issues that have to be improved for, for any computation platform. And before we actually have a shippable product on on compute or on, on mobile, we will have to make more of these fundamental improvements before we can get there. And opportunity cost is another thing. And we, we, we are a rather small team. Maybe if, if we raise a lot of money, we could we could make it faster. Who knows? But maybe it would just take us more time if we double the size of our team. Okay, cool. Look, I think that's gonna I think that's gonna do it for us here. You know, somebody somebody mentioned something about the the reliance on tour. And if you're looking at some other options that that are out there, or if that is, you know, a, you know, I mean, when the DDoS stuff happens, like, how does that affect your business? I mean, we could sit here and talk forever, but in short, is there sort of a backup or something that you're looking at with Tor alternatives? In, in short, no, there isn't a backup. Tor is, is, is by far the best option that we have. Unfortunately, as, as shitty as it is, everything else is even worse. If you look at it closely. And, and the, the development effort behind Tor is still the most sophisticated. As, as underfunded as the Tor project is, it still has more funds than any other anonymity network out there. And plus the, the long-term reputation and, and, and the huge usage numbers of, of Tor. So I, th I think we have to make Tor better. And, and that's what we're currently doing. That's, that's why we're funding Tor, the Tor project every month to hire two developers to make it better. Is it really, really, really needs to be better because if Tor breaks, it's not just Wasabi Wallet that's broken. It's BISC, Join Market, Lightning Network, Bitcoin nodes. All of this shit would go down. Um, so the entire Bitcoin community has a huge incentive to make sure that Tor does not go down the the, the shitter. Uh, and and we're you know pioneering that with uh, making sure that these guys have 
the funding that they need. To. All right, cool. Well, listen, thanks, Max, for answering these questions. His website is towardsliberty.com, and there's a lot to learn there. I should read it all myself. Thanks for hanging out with us today, and and I think we'll be hanging out maybe in the Baltic Honey Badger or somewhere somewhere over there soon. Sure. 